Welcome to the Pre-PT Grind Podcast. Before we begin this episode, we would like to thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself as a Pre-PT on your journey to becoming a future doctor of physical therapy. This episode has been sponsored by our Acceptance Navigator Series, which is a free four-part Pre-PT video series where we teach you exactly how to take full control of your PT school acceptance journey, as well as how to find clarity and direction as a pre-PT so that you can dominate your application regardless of your GPA, GRE score, or fear of PT school rejection. Learn how to get into the driver's seat of your acceptance journey and not leave your acceptance to chance by shooting in the dark and hoping for the best as an applicant. This is the most value that we have given away and it's free. Take control of your pre-PT journey today by going to www.acceptancenavigator.com. That's www.acceptancenavigator.com. This episode has also been sponsored by our friends at ptschoolprobe.com. Listen to this. One of the biggest fatal application mistakes that thousands of PT school applicants make each year when applying to PT school is not applying to schools that are a perfect match for them. Partnering with our friends at PT School Probe has made that a problem of the past. As PT School Probe makes it extremely easy to plug in and enter what you're looking for in your ideal schools, and you will be immediately matched up with your perfect match DPT programs in the United States. To get matched and locked into your perfect DPT school programs, go to www.ptschoolprobe.com, www.ptschoolprobe.com, and use the code PREPTGRIND in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you there. That's PREPTGRIND for your code. This will save you hundreds of dollars in your application by helping you avoid throwing away money at the wrong schools and saving tens of thousands of dollars lost every year that you miss out on becoming a DPT. So go to www.ptschoolprobe, that's ptschoolprobe, probe.com, and use the code preptgrind in lowercase letters to get a discount and let them know that we sent you. And that's because we got you covered and we are excited to share this next episode with you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast episode. We look forward to serving you. Have a blast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pre-PT Grind podcast, where we help you become the best pre-PT applicant and student you can be. My name is Brittany, and I'm one of the podcast directors. I am very excited to be on here today because we have the program chair of the DPT program at Bellarmine University, Dr. Beth Ennis, joining us to answer a few questions regarding her program. Thank you, Dr. Ennis, for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Okay, so we can dive into the first question in five minutes or less. Tell us about what led you to the profession. So... I grew up in a medical family. Both my parents are physicians, so I knew very, very early that that was not what I wanted to do. But I was always kind of immersed in healthcare and also the military. When I was in high school, I ended up working at Walter Reed. Spent a lot of time on various units there. Spent some time in oncology, spent some time in the NICU. Ended up working in the physical therapy clinic and then on the orthopedic unit when the clinic was closed on the weekends. And just fell in love with the profession. So my last two years of volunteering there, I split between those two 
unit. Knew when I was graduating from high school that I wanted to be a PT, but it was during the time when we were shifting from bachelor's to master's degree. And so I wasn't sure what I wanted my path to be, how I wanted to get there. So I applied to some bachelor's programs and then I also applied to some general liberal arts programs. Decided to wait and do the master's and that actually gave me more time both during college and during breaks to do some other work. So I worked with the Exceptional Family Member Program in the military um, when we were stationed in Germany working with kids with special needs. I actually taught special ed for a year between college and PT school because I needed a little bit of a school break before I went back in and was an athletic trainer in college too. So it kind of helped me tease out not only was PT absolutely what I wanted to do, but were there areas of PT that I was really interested in or really wanting to avoid. <laughs> so it worked for me. It was my path, but everybody has their own way of getting there. I saw that you have like an education background. Is that what influenced your interest in pediatric physical therapy? Some of it. One of my parents is a pediatrician. So I had always grown up around kids, especially children with special needs. And I think teaching that year of special education where I was working with a group of children with severe and profound disabilities really kind of cemented that love. I had thought about athletics. I was an athletic trainer in college, decided after that, that that was not what I wanted to do and kind of went back to my kids. And honestly, now I have a 17 year old who is an athlete. So I'm back into athletics a little bit again because of her, but have just always been in love with working with children. So I was fortunate to be able to do that as a new graduate and have done that for almost the last 30 years. Do you still do that work with the special needs kids? Yeah, I do. In a couple of aspects, I still have a part-time private practice that I run with my spouse <laughs> that I do some clinic work in outside of the university. And then we also run seven pro bono clinics out of the program, one of which is a pediatric clinic. And so I facilitate that one with a couple of colleagues here on campus, and I'm able to supervise students treating in pediatrics there. So I keep my toe in in a couple of different ways. So the next question, students put extra work into bettering certain parts of their application to be the best all-around applicant. Since every school values different aspects of the application, what would you say is an aspect of the application that you value the most or that catches your attention when seen on an application? You know, and when I read that question, that, that's a really hard one to answer because I don't know that there's one section of the application that's any more important than another. I think what's really critical, especially as more programs are using more of that holistic approach to trying to look at applications overall, that they use every component of that application they can to tell the story of who they are. Because we're looking at not just grades or courses that you've taken, but you know, were you a student athlete? Did you work through school? Where did you volunteer? What organizations did you get involved? Involved with, what things impacted your life. And the more we can pull that out of the different components of the application, the better of a sense we get of that applicant as an all-around candidate. CAS has done a lot of good things in putting places in where you can answer some different questions to explain different parts of your application or give other insight into pieces of your life. Don't just gloss over those questions. Use them. Make sure you're answering them as fully as you can. You guys are looking at the whole picture mm -hmm. and their whole story and being Absolutely. able to fully tell that story even further than just their grades and their GRE scores. And right. For a student that visits the campus, there's a good chance that they will only see so much of the campus or the program. What are some things that are unique about your program that a student would typically not see on a tour, but rather only a student in the program would see or experience? 
So I think there's a couple of things. I mentioned our pro bono clinics. There are, we have seven of them. Three are here on campus and they will only see two of them when they tour because they only tour within our building. So they don't see those other, I don't think they get to see some of the interprofessional work that we are able to do both in those clinics and then also with other programs around the city. We have a, a DOT program in the city and a speech pathology program in the city at other universities that we do some activities with. And I don't know that they get a real good sense of of the support that faculty are able to provide to the students. I think they get a, a taste of that during the interview process, but I don't know that just touring the building or even just talking with students gives them a really good sense of kind of the family feeling that happens when you're a part of the program. And I think this is true in a lot of programs. Once you're in, you're part of the family and their goal is for you to succeed and they're going to support you in every way possible. And I think that's really hard to see on any just straightforward tour. I like that idea of that family family feeling, mm -hmm. especially when it's going to be a rigorous program. <laughs> Part of your life for up to three yeah. years, yes. For a student who's accepted into your program and is there for the next three years, what kind of resources do you provide to put them in a position to help them succeed? So, I mean, the faculty support is the piece I already touched on. I think I'm very fortunate to have a group of faculty. Their primary goal is to support the students in whatever way they can. And I know that's true of a lot of faculty. I don't know many people that get into teaching that don't want to support their students. We have built through our program a mentorship process. So our first year students are assigned a second year mentor as well as a faculty advisor. And there is some coursework that's done jointly between the two cohorts where they're paired with that mentor throughout the curriculum. And many of them tend to keep that relationship going, even if they're in their third year and they're off on their clinical placements or after graduation. But it gives them not only that partner in some of the coursework, but kind of that big sister, big brother resource, shoulder to lean on that kind of thing. We do have students that are tutors. So for our first year students that may need a little extra help and aren't finding good study partners in their cohort, we have some second year students that are selected by the faculty to tutor those students. Sometimes it's a group session, sometimes it's individual. It just really depends on the needs of the student. And then our faculty do the same. They're willing to tutor as well. There are a lot of other resources that are very similar to other campuses. Disability Services is very supportive. The Counseling Center is in our building which is really nice. So if there's a crisis situation or we really want to get somebody some support, very close and very easy to access. And I think it's something that's underutilized in most universities. They all have some sort of mental health support system in the university. And graduate school is hard. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of pressure. And sometimes just having somebody who's outside of that to talk this through with and be supportive and help you develop some strategies can be a really good thing. So I really encourage our students to use those services as much as possible. For a student who applies to your program, what can they expect on the timeline of the decision? If your program conducts interviews or preview days, what can a student expect during the course of the day? I know it's a little bit different this year because of COVID. Sure. It, we've tried to keep I me mean, as similar as we possibly can, even though we're having to do things virtually. So I mean, our preview days are hour to an hour and a half sessions, and they used to be face-to-face -face in our building. Now we're doing them virtually. Interviews are the same way. We do rolling admissions. So we started looking at applications in August. We start doing interviews in October and we will start accepting students after that first set of interviews. Now we don't fill the class on that first set of interviews, but it is an ongoing process. So our students that are invited for an interview, it's about a two hour piece where we will do the interview. When we are face to face, 
we allow the student to bring someone else with them to the interview. And that person will stay with me and go through a presentation about our program and what that student could be going through over the next three years if they join us while they're doing their interview. And then when the interview is over, they come back and the whole group is taken on tours by students. So they can ask the students questions, be able to tour with their family member, that kind of thing. We've had to shift to online, but they are still allowed to bring someone to the online interview. They just have to log in separately because again, that person stays in the main room with me while the students and faculty are sent to breakout rooms to do the interviews. We have filmed a virtual tour. So when they come back to the main room after the interview, we do the virtual tour. We have students on the call too, to be able to answer any other questions, do about a 10, 15 minute Q&A, and then let them go. It takes us about a week to two weeks to look through the interview data and fold that into everything else that we've looked at in the application and make some decisions. What I tell students is, it is very rare if you've gotten to that interview point that somebody's going to say, yeah, no. <laughs> that I mean, I could probably count on one hand the number of times that's happened in the 18 years that I have been at this program. Okay, so most of the time, our students are hearing one of two things after the interview. They're either hearing, congratulations, we'd love to offer you a spot, or we really love you, you did a great job, thank you for interviewing, but we want to see how the rest of this mix plays out over our next few interview sessions, so we're going to keep you on our list, we're going to update you periodically, it's usually about once a month. If you decide you want to go somewhere else and want to take your name off our list, just let us know, we're happy to do that, otherwise we'll stay in touch as we keep going. Because we do rolling admissions, and there are a lot of programs who will do a single admit date, usually in February or March. We may have a good number of seats filled by then, but there may also be some shifting when they hear from those other schools. So we will continue to admit throughout the spring, even though we're done with interviews, until our cohort is filled. It's an ongoing process. It's just as stressful for us as it is for you guys, I promise. We want to kind of figure out how to build this group. Usually that first group of interviews is going to be folks who got their stuff in early that gave us a really good picture of who they are as a candidate. And then we're going to go through as we get things from PTCAS moving forward. The other thing that I'll throw out there, and I know you guys have probably heard this, the further into the application cycle you get, the longer it takes PTCAS to verify your application. So getting it in as early as you possibly can gets it to the program sooner. We can't look at it before it's verified, okay? And some applications that are submitted in August can be verified in two to three days. An application that's submitted, you know, right against our November 1st deadline can take four to six weeks, to verify. We hope it doesn't take that long, but it could. And so we wouldn't get to see it until mid-December. The sooner folks can get things in, I think the easier it becomes, especially for programs like us that do rolling admissions. If it's a program that does a single admit with a single interview cycle, it's not as critical, but just know that it can take some time. So get it in way ahead. How many seats are there in the program? So we admit 72. It is a big group. We have 18 full-time faculty and a lot of adjuncts. So we put a lot of bodies in the class if we're doing a lab class to make sure that we're serving those 72 well. For many students, they're going right from their undergraduate degree to their graduate degree, while others may have been non-traditional students. No matter what the case is, everyone may experience first day jitters. What can students expect on their first day or week of classes in your program? Again, pre-COVID, our first half day of class on, we usually start right after Memorial Day. Next summer, we're going to be starting the week before because Memorial Day is late. The first half day in the morning and the Friday of that week in the morning 
our orientation. And then that afternoon they roll right into classes because our summer session is only seven weeks long. So it's a really intense time, but they're going to get a lot of information on that first day about expectations and about program specifics that they may not have heard of before. Although we try to give as much of that information out both during our preview days, during our interview sessions, so that there really shouldn't be a ton of surprises. They meet all the faculty that day. They may only have met one or two on an interview. So they'll get to at least see the faces of all of them and hear a little bit about them. They'll get to meet their classmates. You know, when you put 72 people in a room, that's a lot of folks to get to know. I think it was made even more challenging this year by the fact that the whole summer session was online. And so they had to get to know each other over Zoom, but they still managed to form some of those early relationships and figuring out you know, not just who knew each other beforehand, but who studies the way I do, who thinks about information the way I do. And is that pairing I want to make or is it a pairing I want to switch off so that I get some other information? So they really do try to figure out some of those study groups early on and things like that, but they hit the ground running pretty fast. That's what I hear for most programs. You hit the ground running. We call it drinking out of a fire hydrant. We know that there are a lot of pre-PTs that um, have a rough start to their journeys and might have lower grades or find themselves in a situation where they decide to lock in later on their journey at pre-PT Grind. Our mission is to help push and guide students to take the correct course of action to ultimately get into PT school. For a student with a low GPA who wants to get into PT school, what do you recommend? Honestly, I would reach out to the programs that they're interested in. Most of those programs have someone in their graduate admissions office who will review their file and provide some very specific guidance related to that program and what they're looking for. We are gonna look at every application that we get that meets our minimum GPAs, okay? So we review all of them. That doesn't mean that all of them are gonna be invited for an interview, but I think, you know, some places might say, well, you need to retake those classes, all of them, because otherwise your GPA is never gonna get up where it needs to go. That may or may not be true, depending on the program. I think there's something to be said for persistence as far as reapplication. If folks don't get in one year, don't take that as an I'm never going to get in. But I think just hitting reapply with the same application is doing yourself a disservice. And so talking with that graduate admissions person about what are the things that might make you a stronger applicant for this particular program, whether it's a broader range of experience in volunteer hours, right? Somebody who's worked in an outpatient clinic for 2000 hours has experience in an outpatient clinic. Have they even looked at PT in a skilled nursing facility or in a hospital or in a specialty clinic or on home health? Do they know what the possibilities are of the profession or do they just have that outpatient lens, right? Are there things that they didn't share in their application about their journey and why those struggles occurred? Because just having a low GPA doesn't automatically disqualify you from many programs. As long as they understand the why behind it, they may be willing to look at other components of the application. Were you an athlete all through school? Were you, it doesn't automatically translate, but did you have to work full time all the way through school? Were you involved in a lot of other activities, either on or off campus, that may have impacted your grades? And what was the benefit of having that engagement, right, that offsets those lower grades? So I think reaching out to those specific universities that they're interested in to find out what that place recommends as far as strengthening their application can be very, very valuable. Final question. What is one piece of advice that you give to any applicant during their pre-PT journey? Don't give up. If you know this is really what you want to do, 
you're going to make it happen. Be persistent, but don't be persistent without taking action. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is kind of futile. I have students that graduated from my program who applied not necessarily to my program, but to PT school in general for five years and upped the number of programs they applied to each time, but they also worked consistently over time to better that application. And they're fabulous therapists. I think being hopeful, being persistent, but also being proactive about making those changes to the application to let them know, this is what I want to do and here's what I'm doing to prove that to you. Because you can't necessarily change a cumulative GPA dramatically if things were not stellar in your undergraduate career. Even adding good post-grad grades from retaking courses is not going to change that cum a ton, but it'll change it a little and it'll change that prerequisite grade a lot and it'll show that level of engagement. Also look beyond grades. Can you get involved? What knowledge can you arm yourself with? What do you know about the profession that you can share with them? So looking at all of those components as you're trying to improve that application really can help, but don't give up hope. If it's what you want to do, you'll find a way to do it. What is up, guys? You've been listening to the Pre-PT Grind podcast, where we don't just help you get into PT school, but our mission is to make you the best physical therapist you can possibly be. And I have a quick question for you. Did you enjoy this episode? And if you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow, and that will spread our message of helping pre-PTs get into physical therapy school without wasting time and money, is if you rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind podcast. What this basically does is tell the platforms out there that we're on is that you like our stuff, that we're doing something right, and that we're bringing value to you all, our audience. So if you can take about three seconds out of your day to rate, review, and subscribe to the Pre-PT Grind podcast and tell your friends about Pre-PT Grind, we would be forever, forever grateful to all of you. So thank you again for listening to another episode of the Pre-PT Grind podcast. We will see you on the next one.